Welcome to All Villa, No Filler, a podcast all about the world's best football team, Aston Villa. In the first of our Legends series, we met former Villa striker, assistant manager and also my uncle, John Dixie Dean, a lifelong fan of the club. He came through the youth team to play for Ron Saunders in the 1970s, becoming part of a deadly attacking trio with Andy Gray and Brian Little. In this episode, you'll hear John's tales of winning trophies and famous victories in a golden period of Villa history. He also describes returning to the club as assistant manager in 2001. I started out by asking him how he first got discovered by Aston Villa. There was a a trial game for Birmingham boys. So uh, a scout had actually seen me and uh, he was an Arsenal scout. And Mm. so... um, the scout came and you know asked me where's your parents and that and I said I live there and I live 127 Valley Road but we didn't have a phone at the time so he he ended up turning up coming to the house (laughs) and he said I'm a scout for Arsenal I'd like John to go to um, to come down to Arsenal and have a trial and I, I was all I was quite happy I was just playing football Francis I was excited you know yeah and then um Somehow, my dad he managed to get onto the phone to Aston Villa, and um, someone at Aston Villa must have answered the phone to my father, and and my, fa- and my father says, "Listen, I work at Jaguar Car Plant in in Coventry," and, and all that went on. And then he says, "He says, listen, I've got my my second oldest son here, and he says, um, he's he's got to go all the way to London to have a trial," and they just sort of said, "Well, hold on." What we'd like you to do is we'd like you to uh, to bring your son John John across to the training ground. We'll bring him across for a, for a trial. So I got there to play. It was like the Villa. It was like the Villa youth team that was playing in the tra- on the training ground, and I was in with a load of trialists. So uh, in in the course of the game, as it went on, I scored a hat trick. In fact, I, I think I scored four. And, and the score was about six, two or three. And um, what, what was going on in the background, what I didn't know was people were ringing, ringing the actual manager, whose name was Vic Crow, to come and talk to me dad. So, oh, wow. uh, you know, I'm just at the stage where I've, I've, I've just um, finished my GCSEs and that. And uh, I was getting ready to go and work in a very, very close to Birmingham City's ground to work in a factory there, you know, just pressing iron and stuff. But um, it didn't happen. And uh, obviously, I'd scored these goals. At the start of the second half, I'd been on about five minutes, and the coach went, oh, over you come. And I was thinking, oh, he's going to tell me, thanks very much, but you're not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so off I come, and then walked into the dressing room <laughs> and into the canteen. So sat down on, on the table, and my dad was with me as well at the same time. And I said, what do you think, Dad? He says, not sure you've done good enough, John. He says, you scored three, but you could have scored another one. <laughs> so I went, oh, OK. Once, once Mr Crow came into the room, my dad stood up, honestly, because I was sat with me back to the door. And I just remember my dad jumping up and going, Mr Crow, <laughs> <laughs> Mr Big Crow. And he just said, uh, I says, I assume you're John's father. And my dad said, yes, Mr. Crow, and everything. He says, John, sit down. And uh, all of a sudden, they just come in with all this paperwork. And it, like said, two-year apprenticeship. So um, it was just incredible for me because I wasn't sure what I was going to do. You know, I'll be anywhere. 
and all of a sudden t t I, I knew what an apprenticeship meant that they were taking you on board and um, it, it was fantastic uh, to, to go in there uh, even though I was cleaning the boots of some of the senior players Andy Lockhead <laughs> and Bridget great players for Aston Villa Brian Little even I cleaned Brian's boot boots for a while and they, they were all both playing for the first team so where uh, it was just an incredible, enjoyable time. It didn't take long for you to make your debut. You were, I think, you were in. You were still a teenager at the time. I think it was probably it was yeah eighteen. I think so. Um, the Villa were doing quite well, and and Ron Saunders was was quite happy with the way it was going. They'd had a, a period in the season where um, they'd already bought Andy Gray, and and Brian Little was at the at the club, mm. and uh, I think Andy Gray got a bad injury. So I was I was taken on the first team bus. That was the first time I ever got on that. My debut was against Ipswich. And I, I couldn't believe how long we were driving across <laughs> the country to, to go to Ipswich. I, I obviously made my debut that day. And I think they beat us about three or four nil, you know, <laughs> on the day. Yeah. And because, you know, Villa were playing a weakened team. No disrespect to myself, but, but, you know, there were better players. Brian Little and Andy Gray probably were both injured. And I was trying to lead the front line, and it was a difficult job. But they were still injured the following week when we come back to Villa Park. And it's amazing what uh, your home ground does for you. Really? Because uh, my home debut was against Sheffield United. And uh, I, I can remember running out at Villa Park there was probably about 30,000 people there come to watch the game. And uh, I just suddenly realised that, that Ray Graydon had got down to the right-hand side of the, going towards the halt end, and he's, he's crossed the ball in. And I've managed to get my timing right, and I've punched it quite well with about 10 yards out. <laughs> and um, so it's hit the bar, and it's come down about a foot behind the line. And then it span out because it was spinning. And mm. I thought I, I actually thought that it hadn't, might not have gone over the line, but the referee just went straight away, one nil off you. Oh go. wow! Listen, believe me, you could not. None of the players could catch me when when I started running. You know, yeah. ran down the width lane. So I don't score for Aston Villa. Yeah. What a dream! Absolutely, <laughs> just incredible. Absolutely, so exhilarated. It was like I was just shot with electricity. Just the lads couldn't stop me. Chris Nickel, <laughs> some of the lads, Leighton Phillips was the captain at the time. <laughs> Dennis Mortimer was midfield. They were all trying to catch me. I was running so quick down the other end of the ground, jumping up in the air and scored to put us one nil in front. The game, the game finished four-one, but. Uh, it was my goal, I think, that scored the winning goal for, yeah. for my home debut. It was great to score on the home debut. I can't even imagine what that must have been like to, to even yeah. just to walk out on the pitch and see yeah, that many fans yeah. of the team you support and then to score. I mean, it's just, yeah. how do you even... You're absolutely right. For like a, a, a professional footballer, well, I think I was a professional at the time. I don't think I was still an apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> And it was just, it was like I was plugged in, you know. Mm. Someone suddenly said, plug him in and get him running because he's going to score. And uh, it was just incredible. Great. And then, uh, funny enough, because uh, I scored that day. And then uh, after that, 
I was the Ron Saunders kept going on to me. He says, "You've got to do your job as a striker, John, as well as score goals. You need to hold the ball up and hold, retain possession, so as we can get up with you." And it prob- that probably went on for about three weeks. Hmm. And then, then, I, then I do remember I was out on the training pitch, so I was I would have been doing my, my finishing with Andy Gray and Brian Little and Ray Graydon, and uh, he, he just he just said to me, he says says, I need to see you in my office uh, after training. So right. Ron Saunders did. And I thought, oh, crikey, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> Something's gone wrong. So I, I, obviously I, I went up and, uh, and I knocked on his door, you know, and uh, it, it, come in. <laughs> I can remember quite quick, clearly, quite quickly. So I've opened the door and I said, the gaffer says, uh, come, you've asked to see me. And he said, yeah, 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 come and sit down. So I, I came and sat down, and, and probably since that game against Sheffield United, there'd probably been about four games, five games, and um, yeah, I can remember it quite clearly. Him talking to me and saying, "Right, Johnny, says, uh, how do you think you're getting on?" I says, "Oh, well, I think the team hadn't lost. You know, for me, it was all about the team." <laughs> yeah. And he says, "The team haven't lost, and uh, we've, got, we've had some good results. You know." And he went, "Anything else?" Is there anything else you can think about? I kept thinking, what's, what do you want me to say? <laughs> yeah. And then I says, oh, I says, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He says, you're you're my centre forward at the moment. I said, yeah. I says, and we're winning. And he said, I want you to score some goals for me. Because yeah. so, I hadn't scored since that gap. But we'd won games all the way. Yeah. And he just says, I need you to score me a couple of goals. I think it, I think it was West Ham were in... We're in the firing line, and um, it's amazing how the influence of a manager telling you, "I want you to score," you know, for me. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're playing at Villa Park, and I scored twice within the first half. <laughs> it's just just the influence, the, the main man, the manager yeah. saying, "I need you to do your job a bit better," and I want you to put the you know a gloss on it at the end to, to score. You know, I've gone back through looking at who Aston Villa's greatest managers are. And I keep coming down on the idea that Ron Saunders is Villa's, probably Villa's greatest ever manager. Is that something you'd agree with? And what was it like to play for him? Oh, without a doubt, honestly. um, And Ron Saunders came in. And uh, with no disrespect to any other football manager who's been fortunate enough to work as the manager of Aston Villa Football Club, I would think, for, my, for myself personally, Ron Saunders was the person who made me the player I was. Wow. You know, he really had a strong, powerful training programme. And it was probably a bit unfortunate because a lot of players felt by the, by the, you know, by the by side. If you had dodgy knees or that, you were under heavy pressure because he, he really believed, he really believed in fitness, wow. winning games. You know, have 10 outfield players running as fast as they can all over the pitch, uh, you know, getting back into a defensive shape or getting into an attacking position to try and help score a goal. It was all about that. It was all about ability to run and, uh, you know, a passion to try and get back to help your friends if you had to or um, try and run as quick as you could to get up the pitch and maybe get cross a ball or make a, a certain path or, or obviously 
smash it into the back of the net as well and help. <laughs> I mean, that season was a really special season, 76-77. You came fourth in the league. You, yeah. Andy Gray, Brian Little as the main attacking force. Dennis Mortimer as well. Yeah. Um, you had uh, you, you yourself got 18 goals that season. And then the League Cup final, you played at Wembley, draw. Then it was on to Hillsborough, draw. And then you beat Everton finally 3-2 at Old Trafford. So what was that experience like of those? I mean, how intense was it to play that many cup finals? <laughs> well, obviously, the, I can remember just being so proud to walk out Wembley at Wembley for the first game. And uh, we'd drawn the game at Wembley and we'd drawn the game at Hillsborough. What we got told by the football league was, they said, uh, said right, the next replay is going to be at Old Trafford. So the replay was on the Saturday. And I can remember him quite, quite clearly saying, um, this game, this final, is going to go to penalties if it's a draw after extra time. And everybody took it on board mm. and said, right, OK, everybody got it. I was quite happy. I was quite comfortable, frankly. Mm. And uh, the morning before we went up to play the game at Old Trafford, Ron Saunders comes across the training, says, I've got a real good idea, lads. <laughs> And he says, uh, if we end up going to penalties, we need to know exactly who's going to be taking the penalties. And we said, I can remember Chris Nichols saying, well, we've, we've got the decision made who's going to take the penalties. You know, Brian Little's going to take the first one. John Gidman's going to take the second. Um, Chico Hamilton's taking the third. I think he was playing. And Ray Gaiden was taking the fourth. And I was taking the fifth. <laughs> So I was taking the fifth penalty if it had gone to a, a penalty shootout. And uh, we got the, up there on, on the bus up, up into uh, to Manchester and stayed in, in the hotel overnight, ready to go. And then he, come, then he came in and he got us all together again. And he says, I know what I'm going to do now. He says, I've made my final decision on it. He says, we've got our best penalty takers at the start. He says, and what we're going to do is now, we're going to reverse them. So as we've got our better, better penalty takers at the other end. <laughs> and I, I, I thought to myself, if the game goes to a penalty shootout, that means that if I take it for Aston Villa, I could possibly be the first ever person to miss it in a penalty shootout. <laughs> so the game went to extra time, frankly. It was so, you know, both teams were so evenly matched. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, all I could imagine, once, once, once it, the final whistle blew at Old, Tra at Old Trafford and the games started kicking off at the start of the centre half, the second half, I just remembered what Ron Saunders had said. said, you know, we'll reverse our penalty takers. And I was so worried about it. It really bugged me, you know. It was <laughs> yeah. going on and on and on. And then we were in the last two or three minutes and I, I got away with it. Right yeah. at the very last minute of the extra time, the, the Everton left-back, Terry Darricott is his name, if you look him up, and he hesitated, and the ball just ran straight through to Brian Little, and he just tapped it in at the far post. Uh, oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> I'm I was going, oh, thank God, I don't have to take a penalty. <laughs> it had, hadn't celebrated a goal more in your life, probably. No, that, no, yeah. <laughs> It was it was tough on Everton as well. That was also the season where you beat Liverpool five one, which is an extremely yeah. famous game in Villa history. Um, yeah. It unfortunately wasn't televised, which is a real, real tragedy. Uh, um, that's right. Someone but, said it wasn't a good idea to, yeah. to film the game. Whoever, uh, whoever did it in the TV, 
They said, now we'll do something. Oh. We'll, you know, we'll do a bake the cakes program or something. Because <laughs> it was, I, I mean, I, I heard th- about that game growing up. Um, it was always a game people talked about as very famous. And also when Villa beat Liverpool again 7-2 this season, Jamie yeah. Carragher himself said, I remember a game or I remember hearing about a game where Villa beat Liverpool's, the great Liverpool who won the title 5-1. That's right, yeah. Can you, you scored twice that day. Andy Gray, yeah. I think, got two and Brian Little. And Brian one. got one. So yeah. can you talk us through that game and c- could you believe what was happening when you were just battering them? Uh, no, uh, it, it is it, it's probably, if I'm honest, you know, I played at Wembley for Aston Villa and both Norwich City and I, I won on, uh, on both occasions. But um, nothing compared to the excitement and in being involved in that game at the time was just, I think the, the, the score at half-time, 4-0 or 4-1. And um, I'd already scored twice, so I was, I was still on that <laughs> circle going around saying, I want to try and get a hat-trick. Yeah. And um, I, I knew I'd scored twice at half-time. And I had a great chance at the start of the second half. And I can remember drilling it against the underside of the bar and it came down. And I thought it was over the line, but the referee just said, play on. Oh, no. <laughs> that was, but I never scored a hat-trick for Aston Villa. Oh. All Villa, no filler. On Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Well, from winning the League Cup in 77, you then were in the UEFA Cup the season after and you beat Fenerbahce, you beat Athletic Bilbao and then you played Barcelona, uh, yeah. who had Johan Cruyff. So you yeah. were playing. And so um, there was a very, again, another famous game at Villa Park. Villa were 2-0 down. And then in the last five minutes, you scored an equaliser in yeah. pretty much the last Eight, minute. In front 89. Of the <laughs> So what? What again? What was that? Um, what was it like to experience European football and play against Barcelona? Uh, at the time, honestly, we, I can remember coming coming down onto Villa Park for the home leg and thinking, you know, we'd we'd actually we'd had a couple of teams, one from I think from Norway and maybe one from Finland, and uh, and we'd dispense with them quite easily. Mm. And um, I think I think there was a, a feeling in the camp. That we'd be, we'd do okay uh, against Barcelona. So they came down onto the pitch, and I can remember the game started fairly quickly. And it wasn't a case of just being surprised by it, by it, Francie. What Johan Cruyff could do with his body and his um, the control of the ball was think, stuff I'd never seen. It mm. was just incredible. Couldn't believe what I was seeing, really. The fact that Aston Villa stayed in the competition and made it a competitive edge to go back to the new Camp with a chance of getting through was reasonable because, um, obviously, the game eventually finished 2-2. And I would have mm. thought Johan Cruyff had twisted most of our players, including me. <laughs> you know, he seemed to have these new tricks and new ideas. If I told you something... I don't know whether you'd believe me or not, but um, so we're losing 2 0 at Villa Park, and Johan Cruyff is going to be allowed to come off on 60 minutes. <laughs> so he came off and he got to the bottom of the stairs, and then he walked to the top of the stairs. And what was waiting for him there? A lit cigarette. <laughs> really? Sad, isn't it? But wow. it, a lit cigarette 
it's someone had to hold a cigarette for him but um he was so good and mm. he was so clever with the ball and he'd, he'd already i think it's good in the first half and mm. um i managed to equalize it right at the very last minute but he was a fantastic player he'd run me ragged anyway yeah, whenever i'd come close to him was he the best player you ever played against, do you think, Johan Cruyff? Yeah, I think I probably was, you know, because I managed to get to play against a, co- a couple of them or watch a couple of them. Um, I watched Maradona when I went to America to cover the World Cup for the mm. FA. So that, that, that was exciting. Maradona was a, spe- a special player, very powerful, very quick. And um, if, if I had to say a player I thought was the best player in my lifespan, it would be Johan Cruyff. He was by far the best. Now, an incident that was quite infamous from the era you were playing at the Villa um, was when Rangers fans uh, invaded the pitch during a friendly. Um, can you um, talk us through your memories of that? Rangers were playing, had come down to Aston Villa to play a friendly game and then Scottish supporters came down and they filled the whole tent. They took the whole tent <laughs> and I was stood, I was stood at the whole tent waiting for this corner to come across, you know, and we're all in there. And then all of a sudden you just thought, there's a rumble. <laughs> you could hear a rumble from up in the stand. And I can remember this Scottish lad, just the Scottish player just turned to me and he looked at me and he went, run for your effing life. <laughs> <laughs> of all things, John Burridge got to the 18 yard line and suddenly realised that his gloves were in the goal and he went back and ran in there to try and get them to try and get, to get his gloves oh my <laughs> but, um, and honestly I can remember going being, being hoarded in and going up the tunnel and honestly there were about five or six of them must have been absolutely paralytic because the police were pulling them in as, <laughs> at a time and taking them up I'm like, I can remember being stood at our dressing room door with the door open and, and, and two of these coppers were holding on to this fella and they were, he was spitting at us and everything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, it, was, it was incredible. You wouldn't have thought it was possible. No. But it, it just shows you how passionate you can come about football. Yeah. And I think maybe, maybe, maybe Glasgow Rangers at the time I don't think they were on, on a you know winning run against Celtic, but um, gosh, I remember, it, it must have been so intimidating. I remember my mom and granddad <laughs> speaking to me about that and saying they were in the stand. And I remember my mom saying she, <laughs> the terror she felt watching you sprinting off the pitch <laughs> as these Rangers fans are chasing after you. That's right. Like, <laughs> if I'd been me yeah. on the pitch, I don't think I'd have ever run faster in my life. To be honest, um, <laughs> so. Do you have like a, a favourite kind of memory of playing for Aston Villa? Yeah, I, I do really. You know, um, what, I, what I can't get away is the memory of actually walking out in 1977. And, you know, we were in the away team dressing room, I think, uh, at Wembley. Mm. And um, to, to actually walk out onto the pitch uh, at Wembley was, you know, extremely exciting. But, and what was it like playing with Andy Gray and Brian Little? Oh, just, um, well, Andy came down, came from obviously Scotland. And uh, what I do remember once was he, he, was, he was very competitive, really competitive. Uh, um, and, and at the time, like, Villa had quite a big uh, Scottish content in their team. 
if you think about it, we had Alex Cropley, um, the left back was a, a Scottish player, Jimmy Brown, I think it was, Andy Gray up front. So that was four, four out of six outfield players mm. that were Scottish. It made you realise that they were really competitive lads, really mm. competitive, strong, um, powerful boys. And well, uh, I'd have to be honest, I, I, I like Johan Cruyff as my favourite player, but um, for strength and power and uh, ability as a left-footed player, that, you've got to remember that as well. Andy Gray was a left-footed player, strong person, and he was a really good player, really mm. good player. And Brian Little, like I was the strong right-footed player, Andy Gray was the strong left-footed player, and um, Brian Little was the uh, the technician who mm. could make anything happen. Really close cut, close control. Um, you know, great eyesight for a pass, or you know, to help out in, in, in when he needed to be. So it was a nice mixture, um, and I enjoyed playing in that front line for a long time mm. until it was split up. And I think you'll find eventually Andy Gray went to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, and I think Brian stayed there for quite a bit, really, mm. with Gary Shaw. Yeah. And Peter Smith. If a, Peter, the, yeah, the ones that replaced me and Andy were uh, Peter With and Gary Shaw, really. And, yeah. and they won the European Cup, of course. Who was the best Villa player you played with at the time, would you say? I think it would have been Andy Gray really? because I looked up to him a lot. Yeah, he just didn't know fear or anything. And um, occasionally he took a couple of you know, smacks and bruises, but it's difficult to say because there was such a good team mm. right throughout. You know, it had the right structure. John Burridge was in goal and Chris Nichol and Leighton Phillips were the centre-backs. John Gidman was a fantastic right-back. <laughs> no, he wasn't great at defending, but he didn't have to make, put some great crosses in. Mm. And I scored from a lot of his crosses. On our podcast, we put together our favourite ever Villa team. And quite a lot of, it's very difficult for us because we only really saw the last 30 years. And a lot of people have said to us that Gidman was Villa's best right back. Yeah. Um, and I would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Without a doubt. It was, you know, he was quick. He, he could deliver the ball. You know, he didn't have to t- break his running pattern at all or anything. He could pick a player out. It was what was called the Pomo area, the position of maximum opportunity. And that's just outside the six-yard line, out towards the penalty spot. That Mm. area there is the the area where most players will score their goals from. Mm. And um, he constantly delivered the ball into that area, um, allowing myself and Andy and Brian to try and score as often as we could. Oh, I wish I'd I wish I'd seen that too because it's just it, there's so many good moments from it. So we also do a thing called the perfect eleven where we pick our favourite ever Villa players. Yeah. Um, and for you, who would you pick? You know, who would be your best Villa players that you coached and you played with and watched? I mean, anyway, <laughs> there's a lot to there's say. A, there's a few now out there. I'm trying to think if I, if I was dead honest. Um, I thought Jimmy Coombs, who was who was the goalkeeper at the time, but you know, where I was still an apprentice when he was in goal, but um, he made a lot of good saves. Um, that, that I used to, and I, I always I always used to think, you know, the goalkeeper had to be at least six four. If he was any shorter than that, <laughs> there's a chance that he's he's not going to be able to dive and get into them mm. lower corners. 
But um, John Burridge was the, the the goalkeeper at the time when I when I made my debut. I think it was. But um, Jimmy Coombs was uh, a very good goalkeeper. John Gidman, Charlie Aitken. Can't get away from the fact that he's the record holder for players playing for Aston Villa. He also used to pick me up when I first <laughs> when I was an apprentice. When I was a, a young apprentice, he'd pick me up um, down on the Coventry Road, and he used to drive me into Bodymore Heath, which was very nice of him. <laughs> he always had an input when when like Ron Saunders would pull everyone together and sort of say, "Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think?" Charlie always had a a, a way of sort of sort of saying. I think it should be done this way or it should be done that way. And because he was a senior player at the time, or it might have been Bruce Rioc, um, they were just very clever players, very, you know, experienced. And uh, could even probably just sort of say, well, this is the stage of the season where the trophies are going to get won or this is the, the stage of the season where, pl- where clubs are going to get relegated. Yeah. It happens every year. So it's obviously trying to do it or avoid it is, is obviously a, a big thing for Aston Villa at the moment. On the All Villa No Filler podcast, we're always looking to hear from fans. We want to know your opinions on how the team are playing and who we're signing. So if you want to give us your opinion, please do get in touch. You can contact us at allvillanofiller at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Now you went up against a lot of really great players, but who would you say was your toughest opponent? I think Larry Lloyd. So, and the one other who was really, who, who I had a long time running battle with. And um, actually, I'll tell you what happened, Fra- Francie. So, um, I was playing against Knott's Forest one night, and mm. um, I eventually got to run into a lad called Kenny Burns. Uh, the game's going on at Forest, and uh, I'm playing up front with um, Brian Little and Andy, Andy Gray. That was for definite, that game. And um, Kenny Burns had been obviously this long-term thought in my head that he plays for Birmingham City. And there was a game when I played against Birmingham and he absolutely cleared me out (laughs) when he he elbowed me in the face, just on the 18-yard box. The the way it turned out, he was playing for Notts Forest. Brian Clough had bought him. And and I can remember John Burridge uh, getting the ball and... Uh, no, I was I was I was running down, trying to run in, um, trying to attack Viv Anderson at right back, and I cut inside Viv, and I'm heading down, I'm bearing down on the goal to try, to try and score on it. Then all of a sudden, I just ended up on the floor, and what had happened was Kenny Burns had just put his arm straight out, and it almost he hit me in the neck really with his <laughs> arm and his punch, and it just flattened me. I was flat down on my throat. And I thought I thought I'd swallowed me Adam's apple. It was that bad. <laughs> and the referee just had gone. Carry on, play on, play on. I don't know whether he didn't like the referee or or whether he really liked Kenny. So I've managed to get myself up to my knees, and I was really struggling. And Andy was on the other side of the pitch, and John Burridge was in goal at the time, and he, he's bounced it in the. He, he got hold of the ball in in his own eighteen yard box, you know. So. He decides to kick it and he kicks it out of his hands 
and uh, I can see then that the ball's coming down. So I'm in the right sort of. Uh, if you, when you're attacking, I was in the left side of the pitch, and Kenny Burns was in the middle of the pitch, and I, because of what had happened, I just set off and headed for Kenny Burns. <laughs> I just headed for him, honestly, and because uh, for myself as a Villa fan, he was a Blues, an ex-Blues player, yeah. and uh, I had to, I had to do something right. So I've got into that situation, and I've, I've run across, and I've shouted, screamed at Andy. I said, "Andy, Dixie's ball, Dixie's ball!" And he must have looked across and thought, "Oh my God, something's going on here." So he just jogged out the way, and obviously Kenny Burns was just looking at the ball coming down, and he went to head it. And I knocked him clean out. Oh, God. I, I so much. So, so, so he, he, he wasn't carried off. They, they, you know, they just sort of, they'd woken him up or whatever. And, you know, and uh, but he, he wasn't knocked out, I don't think. But uh, he was badly split. His lip was badly split. We, we ended up the game, I think, Forrest Peters, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I went into the players' lounge with all the Villa players and all the North Forest players. And I was stood there just having a drink. I suddenly got this tap on the shoulder and I turned round and there was Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny Burns looking at me. I thought, he's going to hit me in a minute. And I said, like, all right, Kenny. And he said, no, I'm not. Have you seen what this is here? And he had about three or four stitches in his lip. Oh, my. <laughs> that, that obviously, that happened from my collision with him. The, the rough and tumble of... Football in the seventies, professional football at the time, and it was it was quite an intimidating little period, like because I, I can remember a couple of p- p- the players from Forest and a couple of players from the Villa saying, "Come on, lad, come apart, come apart now," and then, and I can remember Kenny saying, "I'll be waiting for you <laughs> when you come and play against me next time. I'll be waiting for you," and um, and and I says, "I can remember him saying." Oh, don't worry about it, mate. I'll be looking after out for you as well. <laughs> and uh, it was just—it was like who could who could <laughs> be the most. And uh, I don't think I ever ran up again, ran up, came up against him again in 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 a professional manner. Mm. Uh, I didn't do anywhere else. But um, I just respected him as much as the fact that he damaged me a little bit during <laughs> my career. He kicked the legs off me. Up. St Andrews a couple of times, but he knew knew that um, I was a Villa fan. But to be fair, the the one I liked the best was Trevor Francis. He was fantastic. He was was, um, a fantastic character. He had a great ability about him because he he was one of the first players to go and play abroad, you know, Mm. as well as uh, anything else. And I would have to respect him as well, you know, that he was a... He, he was a very, very good player. I can remember being at St Andrews and winning one nil at half time, and then uh, I think, and Trevor was playing at the time, and I'd scored the goal. <laughs> I thought, this is this is going to be. I scored it at the Tilton Road end, Tilton Road end, and I was thinking, this is going to be it. This is going to be the time I beat Birmingham City at their home ground. Yeah, and so you'll probably look it up, but. Um, you know, Blues equalised with about 10 minutes to go. Leighton Phillips got sent off. That's what I remember. Leighton Phillips are sent off. And I was mad with him because he got sent off. And I knew we needed to have at least, you know, 10 players on the on outfield 
to win the game. Mm. And um, I don't know why he, he, he just took a, a player out for no reason. And it was an obvious sending off. And uh, I can just remember there was about, I'd, I'd scored and we were winning 1 0, and there was about 10 minutes left, and bloody Trevor scored twice. Oh, oh no. <laughs> It was hard to, and I never won. I never won at St Andrew's Ground, oh. and yet I won game after game after game at Villa Park, mm. um, and uh, so just incredible. So you were at Villa uh, from as a professional from seventy five to seventy nine, and in the yes. seventy eight to seventy nine season, I believe you were top scorer. So it's quite surprising then to see that you actually left in seventy nine, at least from not being there at the time so what was yeah. it like kind of leaving Villa um was it a real gut wrench as a fan to be leaving as well yeah it was it was a real big you know it, it knocked me to bits really to go to West Bromwich Albion but if if you might need to see the history books and they had to balance the books that was what I was told basically I was told that um they built the, the stand at the the Witten Lane end of, of the ground, not the Holt end, the Witten Lane end of the ground. They'd, and, you know, they've got car parks and everything to pay for and stuff to do. And uh, the, the villa were just running out of money. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I was deemed to be... Um, there was obviously... There was a couple of players that did get transferred just before me, Francie, but um, I was probably the one big one that stood out and because there was no reason to sort of say, you know, for the villa to say we're going to make a big change in, in the club because myself, Brian and Andy were quite happily scoring goals. Mm. And I, I just think it was obviously a financial, that the villa were in a financial mess because they'd got themselves into that. Um, if you remember, you know, uh, it was quite interesting because the, there was, um, the, the, at the time, Francie, there was lots of clubs, lots of different clubs, and they were all fishing about, sort of saying, "Well, we'll buy him for two hundred and fifty thousand. We'll buy him for three hundred. We'll buy him for four. And I think that the, the, the they built this stand at the end of the, the, the opposite the old end, and they basically couldn't play for it. The Aston Villa, so they needed that as well. And that's I because I wanted to find out why I was transferred to West Bromwich Albion and it was that fact that um, <coughs> they had to pay for the, uh, the stand that they built at the Whitten Lane end wow. and so that, that, that is what I'm led to believe that um, was the reason for me to leave the club. Wow. That's cool. so that stand was paid for by your transfer fee partly I guess that's, that's amazing yeah. wow um, and I've well, sat in that stand many times. All Villa, no filler on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So you returned to Aston Villa eventually as a coach in uh, 2001, first working with John Gregory, who left relatively soon after uh, to go to Derby. And then uh, Graham Taylor took over. Before I ask you what it was like to work with Graham Taylor, um, I've always quite enjoyed uh, the story of when you, one of the first times you met him uh, whilst playing for Norwich. Um, can you just... Recount that for us. The game was going quite cleanly along and uh, it, it was very close. Mick Shannon was playing up front with me for Norwich at the time. And um, he, he, I can remember he slipped me in early on in, after a bit, 
with about after about 10 minutes and um i managed to slip nick it into the corners to put us one nil in front so um wasn't too bad then come half time they began to run out of steam a little bit watford did and um we really took them to task and i managed to score the uh, the the other three goals that, that were uh, ended up with a four nil win and um so that was when I was playing for Norwich City. And um, I can just remember slowly but surely <laughs> after the game, Graham Taylor was obviously the Watford manager and he just come walking slowly across the pitch to me. And um, eventually I thought, well, he's going to say, well done, John. Congratulations on scoring four goals. And he just said, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> he just said, I hate you. You've ruined my weekend. <laughs> I wanted to go out with my wife tonight. I can't now, not after what you've done. <laughs> and, um, you know, and he, he, he was tongue in cheek a little bit about with it that, you know, I'd made his, his weekend such a misery. But yeah. um, the reality was his team had been beaten 4 0 and I'd scored all four goals. And yeah. it, in, it went full circle because eventually I did work with him again a few times. And um, it, was a, it was a very enjoyable part of my life. And what was he? What was Graham Taylor kind of like to work with as a, as a manager? And what was he like with the players? With Graham, the supporters almost came first before the players. He, he really loved them. He was such a gentleman. He was a real gentleman. You know, he loved working and playing with supporters and you know fans, whatever they were. Um, I think he was. He was, he was one of the most liked managers in the country. You know, his, his style of football was very powerful and very quick. He liked the big centre forward. He liked to really work hard on set plays. So he believed in the way that to play the game was to, you know, um, get as many free kicks and corners as you could. And, if you, and, and at the same time, that would have to be the things that he'd need in his team was someone like Gareth Barry who could deliver for a free kick or a corner and put it in the right position at the right time. And, um, you know, uh, I'm, so, sometimes, you, you know, when you're watching out as an ex-player, you can see where it's going wrong, but sometimes it's wrong. It's hard to try and correct it for, mm. for the team you, you're supporting or whatever. But he, he was very clever, clever man. And Gareth Barry himself, I mean, to me, he's one of the best ever Villa players that I've seen. Yes. Um, could you really see that when you were coaching him as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the fact that he was able to use both feet was, was a great, you know, ability because um, there weren't that many of them about at the time. But Gareth, you know, he, he had a fantastic career, really. He'd been my top top six Villa players, really. Wow, you know. Wow. Yeah, you definitely. Now, Dean Smith being a lifelong Villa fan, what do you think of Dean Smith and the current Aston Villa team? I think he's doing particularly well. And, you know, he's, he's holding them just about in the... He, he's verging right about on the middle, isn't it, at the moment? I want him to do particularly well. I think it's getting harder and harder for other managers in the league to succeed. So, uh, my, 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 if I had a chance to speak to Dean, I'd tell him to... You know, throw everything into the cup competitions like the FA Cup and the League Cup because the reality is we're probably not going to win the, the Premiership at the moment. And 
what your players want are them things that I showed you just earlier on. Mm. Medals uh, or something to, to, to say, I've won that. And I guess just as a, as a final message, you know, like, um, what would you, how would you sum up your time with Aston Villa? I joined Aston Villa probably when I was around um, 16 years of age. And um, I, think, I think I probably left around about 90, about when I was about probably 17, maybe 20. And I'd been there for four years and it had given me some very good discipline, especially under, you know, Vicro was a great manager, but I was also under Ron Saunders, who was probably one of the best managers I would have ever played under. He, he knew exactly what he was doing and um, that was an enjoyable part of the life. That was my interview with Villa legend John Dixie Dean. We thank him for coming on the show and it was great to hear his stories. If you want to hear more from our podcast, you can find us on all the main streaming sites and also check us out on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back again soon, but until then, come on Super Aston Villa. Super Aston Villa.